Well, as Brian mentioned uh, earlier, uh, John Underhill and Gary Lundberg are at the uh, county jail uh, for the Spiritual Impact Weekend. And we have an opportunity to hear today from Louis Dooley. And uh, our prayer is that um, his testimony would reflect many that are there this weekend. Um, he is, he's been married to his wife of Julie for 10 years. And his testimony, uh, if you, uh, he just came out with a book. It's out back. He can talk about that a little bit more. But on the back it says this, Louis Dooley was a young man who found himself imprisoned with a life sentence for theft and attempted murder. Through a miraculous turn of events, Louis received Christ in prison and recognized he had new life in Christ. Today, Louis is a free man providing pastoral counsel to current inmates in hopes of the gospel setting them free. So he... Uh, he goes and he preaches elsewhere many Sundays, but when he, when he doesn't, he and Julie attend Renewal Church at, in West Chicago. Uh, a couple on the, uh, I have some dear friends, close friends who are on the leadership team and the pastor there. Um, so that's how I got to know him. And so we've invited him to come and, and preach to us today. And um, again, there will be some books out back that he can talk to you about. But Lewis, come and bring the word. Am I on? Yep, I'm on. Okay, good morning. Man, it's a blessing to be here this morning, and I'm excited. I don't know if you are. I'm a pretty excitable person anyway, but I'm extra excited this morning because those verses that that brother, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, maybe Tim. I can't remember. I'm sorry that he read earlier in Acts. And I just wanted to just read a couple of them again because I think that the Holy Spirit is moving. You know, whenever his people, his saints gather together, the spirit moves. And it's no mistake um, that some of the verses he read kind of dovetails into some of what I want to talk to you about today in Acts chapter four, he read in verse 17, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them talking about uh, Peter and John that from now on, they speak about this man no more. They not speak about Jesus anymore. Their lives were being threatened by the Sanhedrin, these religious know-it-alls, these zealous, these people who thought that they really knew God, but they really didn't because their heart wasn't in it. It was all about the knowledge that they had, and it said, but Peter and John answered and said to them, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard. And I'm excited to hear about the report that he gave about the men right now and other men who have gone into Winnebago County, Winnebago County Jail and, and the things that God is doing. And on one hand, when I hear uh, people testify to the power and work of God, whether it be in a prison, a jail, or anywhere, I get excited. But then on the other hand, I start asking myself, should I not expect God's word to move people towards him? Should we not expect that? So sometimes I get super excited and I'm like, wait a minute, am I so excited that I'm thinking that is not the power of God's word really going to change a person's life? And of course, I know the answer to that question. If you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then you can testify that God's word is powerful and that it moves the heart of men in such a way that it draws us to him and thus we can then lead a godly life for him. And so um, today I want to do a couple things. I want to share a story with you, which is um, my story. But then I also want to dive into God's word a little bit. And I'm kind of perplexed because on one hand, it's like I want to share my story. But on the other hand, it's like I kind of want to scrap that and just jump into the word of God. But um, just to be doing what the spirit has led me to do, I do want to share my story. 
And we all have a story, right? All of us can think back to a time in our lives when we first heard the gospel, when we first heard about Jesus. Maybe it was in this church, maybe for some of these young people that are here today, extra, extra young little ones. Or maybe it was a grandma or grandpa that sat you on their lap years ago and shared with you about the, the penalty of sin and death, but also the grace and love of God that redeems and transforms a person's life and makes them then fit for a place called heaven. Or maybe it was an uncle or aunt that took you on an old fishing boat somewhere and you was out there fishing for bluegill or, or bass and they shared the story um, of Jesus with you and you responded and you decided that you wanted to put your faith and trust in Jesus. For me, when I think about my story about hearing of Jesus, I think of a word. Guilty, attempted murder. Guilty, first degree armed robbery. And the sentence, life. Plus 100 years. Life plus 100 years. At 19 years old, my whole life should have been ahead of me. I was looking in the rearview mirror because it just passed me by. I'm sorry I'm setting my timer so we're going to be here till 2 o'clock. <laughs> and thank you. I might tell some jokes, and I hope that's okay. If you laugh, that lets me know you like me. And so I get this sentence, and they cuff me. They take me downstairs. They take my clothes. They take my dignity. Even felt like they took my manhood. And they gave me an orange jumpsuit. They put me in the dorm room with a bunch of guys I didn't know. And I found an empty bunk to sit in. And as I'm trying to collect my thoughts, when I sit down, another guy in an orange jumpsuit approaches me with a cardboard box with a lid on it. And he sets it at my feet and he leaves. So I kind of look around and I'm like, you know, who is this, the welcoming committee or something? You know, who is this dude? So I open the box and inside are snacks like chips, candy bars, cookies, and then underwear, socks, and T-shirts, all stuff I didn't have. So my first thought was, I got to kill this dude. I got to kill this dude because where I'm from, you don't give somebody something for nothing. I thought this guy was trying to make a move on me that would maybe cost me my life. And so I figured I would eat some of the food, put on some of the clothes, and make him think I took the bait. And then later that night, I would go do what I set out to do. And so later that night came. I kind of slid my way down the wall when I thought everyone was asleep. I got near his cell, and I rushed inside. As soon as I got inside, what did I see? But him and two other guys having Bible study. So I just kind of, I kind of stopped dead in my tracks. And he continued to read, and at some point he stopped and looked at me and said, do you believe in God? I said, no, nah, man, I don't believe in God. I believe in evolution. That was just something I picked up in my local public high school. And I thought we kind of built like apes, right? Like they can walk, they can grab stuff. Their muscles are kind of in the same areas, although a little stronger. And plus I had saw some people that looked like apes. So, <laughs> so I was convinced. Yeah, I'm glad you laughed at that. I was convinced that that's where we came from. So that was my theology. That was my religion, that we came from apes. And that was it. So he pulled out this little pamphlet, better known in the church world as a Bible tract. And I took it, and they all looked at me as if to say, you can leave now. So I left, disgusted, sad, afraid, angry, all these emotions, because I didn't know what was going to happen that night. Was I going to get murdered in my sleep? Or was a bunch of guys going to come do a bunch of other stuff to me that I didn't want them to do? Or the way my day was going, I would hit the daily double, right? And both of those things would happen. And so as I sit down on my bunk, all I could think about was, I wish I had a gun so I could blow my brains out. Just wanted to blow my brains out. I didn't know what the other side of life looked like. I didn't know if there was another side of life. But that was more appealing to me, the unknown, than to spend the rest of my life in prison. And so as we all know, for the most part, there are no guns in county and city jails. And so as I'm sitting there 
desiring to take my life, they say oftentimes when people have near-death experiences, their life starts to flash before their eyes. And that's kind of what was happening to me. I kind of was going back in time thinking, where did this all go wrong? And so it took me back to this little short child um, born in East St. Louis, Illinois, so right across the St. Louis um, um, St. Louis, Missouri, the Mississippi River, to an Italian mother and a black father in a community where I didn't fit in because my skin was so light and my hair was so straight. So I got picked on a lot, which meant I got beat up all the time. So I didn't like being outside the house. I didn't really have any friends and, and didn't like trying to play. So I decided I would just stay in the house. Well, in the house wasn't too much better because my father was like kind of crazy. He would abuse drugs, alcohol. He would physically abuse my mother. He would physically abuse me. So I'm like, man, I'm getting beat up out of the house. I'm getting beat up in the house. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm eight, nine, ten years old. Like, I didn't even ask to be here. And so my mother said, look, son, if you want to make it in life, you'll go to school so you can get good grades. So you can go to college so you can get a job, have a nice house with the white picket fence, 2.5 kids, 1.5 pets, you know, the American dream. So I'm like, yes, that's what I want. So I poured myself into school, and during elementary school, I was in gifted classes, so I was like two years ahead of everybody else. And then by the sixth grade, I was representing my school in spelling bees, and yeah, a girl beat me for first place for tonsillitis. So, you know, had to be a girl, right? They seemed to be so much smarter than us. And so I knew what I wanted to be at that time in my life. There was like two things I was thinking I wanted to do with myself. One, I wanted to be like Mike. And no, I'm not talking about Michael Jordan. I'm talking about Michael Jackson. But I knew I couldn't be like Michael Jackson because I didn't look as good, couldn't sing as good, couldn't dance as good. So I know that wasn't a reality. But this other one I thought was because my great-grandmother used to watch this black and white show like on her 13-inch black and white TV called Perry Mason. Anybody ever heard of Perry, Perry Mason? I used to watch that show as a little young person, and I was so, man, amazed at how eloquent he was in the courtroom he almost won like every case, and I heard lawyers make a lot of money. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a lawyer when I grow up. And so by my sophomore year of high school, when I was kind of well on my way towards that, or so I thought, I got news that my father had been murdered in a drug deal gone wrong. And that's where everything changed. Because, see, my father and I never had a relationship. We never played catch. We never went to a movie. We never went fishing. We never did anything other than him, like, trying to beat me up. And so I was hurt because I desired to know him and have a relationship with him, and that had been taken from me. And so that hurt turned to anger, and that anger turned to rage. And in some weird way, as a 15-year-old, I felt that as if I became like him, it would make me closer to him. So that's kind of weird, like that identification. He's going through this. If I go through this, then it'll make me feel like, okay, I know what he saw, and I know what he thought, and I know what he felt. And so I knew where his marijuana was. I started selling marijuana. I started drinking. I started making some money and buying nice clothes. And then by my junior year, I couldn't sell it anymore because I was smoking it all up. I was addicted. And so then by my senior year, I graduated from selling marijuana to selling crack. And that's when life really got crazy. I started making thousands of dollars. I started getting Cadillacs and Corvettes and big gold chains and, and all the worldly stuff that I was desiring to have that the world told me where I'm from, this is what makes you a man. This is what success is. So out the window with this idea of being a lawyer, because who wants to go to college and then go to law school just to make money when I'm making as much money as I want right now at 18, 17 years old? So I exchanged this dream of wanting to do something 
good, which I didn't want to be a lawyer to help people anyway. I just wanted to be a lawyer to make the money, to now being a crazed lunatic where I'm selling pregnant women crack and I'm taking Christmas presents from under the tree for crack. I'm doing drive-by shootings. I'm robbing gun shops. My life just spiraled out of control. And as I'm sitting here just wanting to be dead, I couldn't go to sleep. And so I had this little pamphlet. So I opened it up. And the first thing it started talking about was God. Now I had heard the word God before, but that was the extent of it. It said that there was a God that created the heavens and the earth. You know, Genesis, the first chapter, second chapter, he created the, the, the sea, the insects, the animals, the vegetation. And then his greatest creation would be man. And he give this man a job that he would have to tend the garden and name the animals. And then God saw fit that he not be alone. So he created a helpmate for him, a wife, if you will. And her name was Eve. And they were in a perfect relationship a perfect union with one another and they were in a perfect relationship with God and everything was good now for you theologians and bible scholars in the house this is where the Lewis Dooley paraphrase comes into play so just bear with me so basically God had given them one rule he said look see all those trees over there they got a bunch of good fruit but it's one of them see that one yeah that one right there leave that one alone let that be my tree don't eat that fruit that's not good for you that's bad that was the only rule that God had given really Adam. And then he had told his wife Eve. And so then this serpent enters the scene who was really Satan. And he starts having a conversation with Eve about this fruit saying, man, that fruit look good. Don't it? It's shiny. As you know, you're a little hungry. You're a little thirsty. It's going to fill all your needs. You should eat this fruit. And Eve is like, look, no, nah, God said, don't eat this fruit. Don't even touch it or we going to die. And the serpent was like, come on, man, you ain't going to die. You ain't going to die like you just going to get knowledge. You're going to get a lot of knowledge, which is good. And Eve, that appealed to her. So she said, yep. So she, well, she didn't say yep. Well, she didn't say none of the stuff I'm saying, but you get it. <laughs> she takes the fruit and she bites it. And then she gives it to Adam, who was just kind of standing like a big old dummy while all this was going on. And he ate it. And that's where this word came into play I never heard before. A three-letter word that's had the biggest implications than any word known to this planet and ever will. Sin. I had never heard of sin before. Never heard the word sin before. Which wouldn't be strange if you never went to church, right? Or watched church programs or listened to church uh, DVDs and cassettes and whatnot. And so it basically defines sin as disobedience against God. Disobeying God. And so I was thinking, like, probably some of the stuff I was doing probably was disobeying. Like, if there is a God and he wants you to do right, I probably have disobeyed him by shooting people and stealing stuff and, and fighting and playing with knives and all that kind of stuff. But then there was a verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that said, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, which means fallen short of God's standard. God has a standard that's here, and man can only get so close but can never achieve that status where God is. But all have sinned. And I'm like, I know what all means. All means everybody. And then I start thinking about my mother. Like, man, my mother is a saint. Like, she ain't never did nothing wrong. Like, she would give you her last. She would do anything for you. But then it started talking about some sins that people would do, like murder. I'm like, okay, that's probably a sin. It talked about people stealing. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm following that. I'm thinking my mother... Wait a minute. When we used to go to Red Lobster, sometime mama used to come home and she'd have forks, knives, and spoons in her purse that she didn't have when we left. So I was like, yeah, 
mama done stole some before. And then it said people who lied. And I'm like, well, shoot, that, that's got to cover everybody. Then it said people disobeyed their parents. And I'm like, well, it's true. If this is real, truly everybody has sinned. And then there was another verse that went along with that in the same book in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that said the wages of sin is death. And I'm like, wow. Like, I knew everybody was going to die because I had never met any like two or three hundred year old people. So that really didn't move me too much that because of my sin, I'm going to die. But that wasn't the death it was talking about. It was talking about this eternal separation that we would have forever. Actually, because of the sin that Adam and Eve, that perfect union they had with God, it was broken. And God desperately wanted that to be restored. He wanted to be in relationship with us, but that sin shattered that and that everybody was born into sin without a relationship with God. So that meant everybody that was born was on a pathway to hell. And I was like, man, like I knew I probably was going there, but everybody. But see, the great thing about Romans chapter six, verse 23, is I like to say it's got two parts. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then it started talking about this man named Jesus. Now, come on, y'all. I had heard of Jesus before. You know, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. That was the Jesus I heard of the TV commercial, which was nothing, not even the right Jesus, which I learned later. I didn't know anything about Jesus. And it started talking about this man in a profound way off the top because the first thing it talked about was the way he was born, that he was born of a virgin. And I'm thinking, like, I'm 19 years old, soon to turn 20. Like, I know that, like, storks don't drop babies off, right? Like, I learned that some time ago. I know how babies are made and how they're born and all that. But then I started thinking, and I believe it was the Spirit of God just resting on me and over me, kind of helping me think through this stuff, that if there is a God and he created the planet and everything in it, how difficult would it be for him to make a woman be pregnant? So even applying some logic, if you will, to spiritual things, if that's at all possible. But it made sense to me that if there is a God that created, surely he could make a woman be pregnant. And so I'm like, okay, I'm tracking with this a little bit. It says that he was born from God. And because he was born from God and not from man, he was born perfect. So this sinful nature that everybody was born with, he was not because he was born directly from God by the Holy Spirit. And he came with one major mission, many other many missions, I like to call them, but one main mission in mind, and that was to come and die for a bunch of people who are his enemies. And I'm like, wait a minute, I want to kill my enemies. Maybe you guys don't want to go to that extreme. At least stay away from them. You don't want to, like, take them cookies. You don't want to go, like, give them a hug and say, let me pray for you when they've been talking crazy to you or doing mean things to you at work or cutting too far over on your lawn in the summertime and you get mad at them about that, if you're one of those type. But to die for your enemy? And I just thought, wow, like, he came to die. And it talked about he came to die to shed his blood, that that would be something that would pay for our sins. And then it talked about having a second chance. And I was like, man, I need a second chance, right? Like we've all done things before in our past. Maybe if it wasn't even a sinful thing you've done. But moving forward, you think back, man, if I had that to do over again, I'd do it differently. Or maybe I wouldn't do it all, at all, whether it's sinful or not. 
Well, for me in that moment, I was thinking about all these terrible things I had done, mainly what I was sitting in jail for. And I thought, man, I wish I could turn back the hands of time. Man, I wish I could have a second chance. For all you golfers, man, I wish I could have a mulligan. But, but that's not possible, right? That's not how this world is. That's not how God is. But what God was saying was that you can have a second chance. You might not be able to rewrite your past, but you can rewrite your present and you can rewrite your future. I can give you a new life in my son that that's what Jesus died and shed his blood for. And then it wasn't over. It wasn't over because then it talked about after this man was crucified that three days later he came back to life. And I'm like, shut up. Like what? Like who does that? Like, who's ever known somebody that's been dead three days and come back alive? Nobody. But Jesus, and I'm just like, wow, like, the story just gets more and more incredible, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5 talks about him being seen by over 500 people at one time. The apostle Paul said he saw him. We know one of his disciples, Thomas, didn't want to believe it when the other disciples told him that they saw him. Then, then Jesus appeared to him and said, here I am, Thomas, touch me. See the holes in my hands and the holes in my side? Just touch me and believe. Like he was going around for roughly about 40 days after his resurrection where all kind of people saw him. And it's like, wow, this has to be real. This has to be real. And then there was a verse, again in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you can be, not you might be, but you will be you will be saved, confessing with the mouth, right? Telling other people, saying, God, you are real. Jesus did come, born from you. You did die for my sins and for the sins of the world, for, cho for those who choose to believe. And you came back after three days to give us assurance and hope that one day when we die, we too will rise again. Believing in the heart with your core, with everything that you, that you believe in. Like when you got up this morning, got in your car, and you drove to church knowing that this building would be here, knowing that there would be some singing and some preaching going on. You believed that would take place when you got up this morning and you planned to come to church. That same faith, that absolute assurance, not a faith that's just cast out somewhere into the abyss hoping that it might happen, but an absolute assurance that what's going to happen is going to take place. And so I decided to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I went to sleep that night. Those guys came. They brought me a old Gideon King James Version Bible. And they taught me how to pray. We started fellowship. We started reading the scriptures together. And that was like the second day of me being found guilty. And so about 30 days later, I got sent off to prison. I found out where the chapel was so I could find out when they had church. And so I started going to church services. I got a job in the chapel. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to serve this great and awesome God who came and died for my sins, I need to know who this guy is. Like, I need to know more than just what I know. I mean, I need to know what I know, right? But I need to know more. I need to know what does this God require of me? What, what kind of expectations does he have of me? And so... I hooked up with the ministry of a guy who used to come in, like those guys that were mentioned going into Winnebago County, and they were bringing Bible courses in that were free for us so we could learn God's word. And I was like, that's perfect because I want to learn God's word. And so you take a course, you mail it in. If you pass, you get it back, you get a certificate, and you get the next book. So I started doing that for a while. About uh, six, eight months later, I got two more life sentences. 
for one of those gun shop robberies. So I had three lives in 100 years. And I just prayed and said, God, you know what? It's me and you. Right? Like, I'm never going to get out. I'm never going to see the outside. But that's okay, God. Because last time I checked, eternity is a lot longer than the life that I have on this earth, which I have no idea how long that'll be. And that it'll be difficult for me to swallow that pill, but you'll help me swallow it. You'll help me break it up into bite-sized bits, meaning that every day is a new day. And to just be concerned with the day that you've given me today and let you be concerned with the next day and the next day and so on and so forth. And so God answered that prayer. He gave me truly the peace that passes all understanding because it didn't make sense even to me how I could have peace and joy and have a great time while I was in prison. And when I say a great time, I'm not exaggerating. I'm saying a great time because I saw the Lord work in so many great and mighty ways, not just in my life, but in other people's lives, which goes back to what the brother mentioned earlier when he gave us that report on these people in gangs, putting their gang flags down and, and them going off from the jail to prison and chaplains in prison calling chaplains of the jail saying, what did you do to these men? How are these men impacting my prison? How? And of course, the response, Jesus, the blood of the risen Savior, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's how it's called a transformed life. That's how it's taking place. And so I know that from experience, from me personally and other people that I've seen. And so as I'm doing my time, after 13 years, the parole board said they want to interview me. And it's like, well, it's probably a mere formality, but I ain't going to say no. <laughs> I'd be a fool to say no. And so I went to it. It was a really quick interview, which made sense. About six weeks later, they told me they were going to let me go home in six and a half years. And I just cried and said, thank you, Jesus. Like, I couldn't believe it. Fifteen and a half years. Now, that's a long time in prison, guys. Nobody wants to do a day. God was gracious to me. God was kind to me. A person that still today deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. But he was gracious, he was kind, he was merciful to me, a sinner, by only allowing me to spend 15 and a half years of my life in prison. And so I got out in 2009, so the end of this year I'll be celebrating 10 years by God's grace that I have been out. And uh, during that time I've gotten married, that's what brought me up to the Chicagoland area. And uh, God has just continued to be good. So good, in fact, that when I prayed, when I got out of prison, that I'll do anything for you, God, except prison ministry. I will do anything. I will go anywhere but that one thing. And he was so kind and gracious to me that he gave me about a couple years of being out before he said, go back to prison. <laughs> right. And I was like, I can't believe this. And then I was like, you know what? It makes sense. You, I could argue I got a Ph.D. in prison in the culture and the life, 15 and a half years. I know a lot just because I lived a lot when I was there. And it makes sense. I'm not afraid of it. I understand the guys that are there because the only difference than them and me is I got different clothes on and I get to leave. Like, really, that's the only difference. And so God has been gracious that that same ministry that I was taking the Bible courses for in prison now I work for that ministry and I'm the regional director for the whole state of Illinois, which means my responsibility, one of them is to try to get these Bible courses. And there's people in Winnebago County Jail that's doing them, all the county jails, prisons, all over this whole state, which started before me. So it's not like that all happened through me. Part of my job is to keep furthering that, keep furthering that and pressing into that. And so um, 
that's the power of God and what he can do in a person's life. And so um, I'm going to let that be a, a segue or transition, if you will, to the main text that I want to talk to you guys about. So if you do have a Bible and you want to follow along, I'm going to jump around a couple different places in Romans and in 2 Corinthians. But I want to start off in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. The first verse says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's the first thing when I think about me hearing about Jesus, me accepting Christ, is that I had this desire to want to be new. This was, again, one of the first verses that I encountered that really spoke to this transformation that should be taking place in my life. In other words, these old behaviors and this old way of thinking that I had before, I shouldn't have the desire to do these things. And all of us know who have accepted Christ that our sin doesn't just fall away when we get saved. And all of our behaviors, our attitude, our language doesn't just change overnight. Some things the Lord is gracious and kind and he'll remove those pretty quickly. But some things can linger on even for years as we fight against the flesh and as we fight against Satan and all of his demons that are shooting these little fiery darts at us trying to mess us up all the time. And so as I think about this transformed life and this old man passing away and now becoming new, I can't help but think back to the book of Romans chapter 12 when Paul is making appeal to this letter that he wrote to the church in Rome when he says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, right? So Paul is saying, look, I'm begging you. I'm making an appeal to you. You've put your faith and trust in Christ. Now it's time for you to start living this transformed life. God is saying, in a sense, I died literally so that you could have salvation from the penalty and death of sin. And now I'm all I'm asking you is to present yourself as a living sacrifice. So God isn't saying, hey, you go down the cross like I did. He's saying, submit your life to me. I gave it to you. And now you give it back to me as a living sacrifice. And I love the language. And I'm using I'm reading from the New King James Version. I lost my ESV, but I got another one at home. It's just too big to carry around. It says it's your reasonable service. I love that. Like it only makes sense. Right. That in light of what Christ, how much he gave for us. Right. He gave his all. Just as all have sinned, God came down and gave us his all, right? He gave us his very self and he died so that we could have salvation. And it's only reasonable that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I believe the ESV language at the end says our spiritual form of worship. And I love that as well, because in a, in a way, as we are living this, this, this living sacrificial life for God, this in turn is a form of worshiping God. We can worship God by living a transformed life. We can worship God by presenting ourselves as this living sacrifice, which has the elements of denying ourselves. right? He says, deny ourselves, pick up your cross and follow me. So when we get down to verse two, Paul goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so he's saying, don't be conformed, but be transformed. And I don't know about any of you, but, but man, it's difficult because I lived about 19 and a half years of my life in the world. And when I say in the world, I'm not talking about just on the planet. I mean, in the world systems and all the things that it tells us like 
um, successful jobs, lots of money, lots of material things like big houses, nice cars, like those are what make you a man. This is how you provide for your family. These are things that the world tells us as men. For women, it's all about image a lot of time, right? How your body looks. Beauty is so important that you need to be making that the main thing in your life to be seeking if you want to be a woman that, that is a real woman in this world. So as we just think about all these different things that the world tells us, how we should live our lives, what we should spend our money on, keeping up with the Joneses and things like that, that's being conformed to the world. Paul is saying, be transformed. But how, Paul? How can we be transformed? Well, I'm glad Paul told us. He said, by the renewing of your mind. He says, your mind needs to be rewired, right? And so that's the first step I believe we need to do when we decide to put our faith and trust in Christ is now we need to start evaluating all of our thinking we need to evaluate our relationships. We need to evaluate what we spend our money on and how we spend our money. We need to evaluate how we spend our time and where we spend our time. We need to make a list of our life. And for some of us, like me, I need to put that on a piece of paper. And I need to start weighing all these things that I'm doing in my life against what the Word of God says. Because we are stewards of everything that we have. In other words, everything we have is on loan from God. Our time, our talents, our resources. All these things that we have, God has given to us to steward. Meaning, we don't own any of it. We should be committing the use of these things for something to glorify God and to be leading others to Christ. That's what I believe. And I believe that Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, I'm not a person that believes he was just talking to them 11 disciples that was there. Although he was doing that, I believe that was the charge for the church then, now, and for the rest of this planet's existence. That we should be figuring out ways that we can use everything God has given us to steward it in such a way that we can glorify God and lift up his name. And so, as I think about this transformed mind, then I go go farther down in Romans and Paul just gives us a whole list of things and just for the sake of time I'm going to kind of go through some of these things but starting with verse 9 he says let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil and cling to what is good hate what's evil let let evil disgust you but cling to what is good sometimes our sin the evil things we do we don't necessarily consider them so evil right those things are good they're desirable to the flesh to to fill our flesh up but they're actually evil things. Anything that's of sin is evil. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't be a hypocrite and be continuing to love these evil things that you do. Put away, hate, have a, a disgust for these evil things and love what's good. Cling to what is good. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Love your brother. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I'm my brother's keeper. Let us love one another. To me, love is a strong word. And whenever I heard that phrase, love is a verb, I was like, wow, I guess love can be a verb, right? Because Romans 5 eight says that God demonstrated his love, right? He demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So when God loved, he demonstrated. He didn't just talk about it. When I'm in Missouri, I love in Missouri because I can say it's the show me state. And I can say the state of Missouri is all about demonstrating, right? It says show me. Show me, like James says, you know, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. We need to be demonstrating our love and our affection towards one another. 
He says, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We got to get up and we got to move. Not just sitting on the sideline, right? When you're sitting on the sideline, that means you're not in the game. Does God want us in the game? Are we motivated enough by a man dying for us to make us say, I'm changing. I want to transform life. I want my mind to be rewired because I want to do something great for God. Not for me, not to lift me up, but to lift Jesus up. That should be our attitude. I just once heard on the radio just recently, and that's why I listen to a lot of Christian stuff, and I'm trying to start be better with reading books, which I'm not good at. But this preacher was talking about this lady who was a nurse, and she won her whole floor in the hospital to Christ. Every patient and every staff person, everybody on her floor of the hospital, it didn't say how big it was, but it doesn't matter. The whole floor had given their lives to Christ. And a person came and said, you're just a nurse. How, how did you do this? She said, no, I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Christ first. And my job just happens to be a nurse. What he was getting at was even our very vocation that we have. God has something in there for us to be trying to be winsome to others for his sake. So maybe you're not in full-time vocational ministry. That's okay. Everybody can't be because if we are, the marketplace will be devoid of Christians. So we need more Christians in the marketplace living this transformed mind life, living this sacrificial life so that our coworkers, our neighbors, our family who don't know Christ, so these people can start saying, man, you weird. And you can say, yep, I'm a peculiar person, right? Because that's what the word says. Come check out some of this weirdness. I'm, I'm weird for Jesus. And maybe that'll start impacting people's lives and we'll start seeing the power of God moving instead of being in bubbles. I know in the suburbs where I'm at, a lot of times you don't really see kids playing out in the yard. You got to go to a park district and that's only if you told them that you could be there. So in other words, I can't just go to the park and play. The heck is up with that? But people in their little bubble, they get home, boop, garage door goes up, car goes in, garage door down. You don't even see the person. You don't even know who they are. And I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. Verse 12 says, rejoicing in hope. Man, the hope that Christ has given us, I don't use that word rejoice much, but, but the hope of Christ is something to rejoice over. It's something to be excited about. It's something to be praising God about all the time because he's given us a hope that does not fail. Patient in tribulation, continually steadfast in prayer. We need to be praying through tribulation, right? But James says we should be joyous during trials and tribulations because it gives us patience, right? So even in the, the tribulations and trials that we have, we should be thanking God for those because it's perfecting us to what the finished product he wants us to be, which is we should be more and more trying to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality, not being stingy. We see a need out there, let's go meet that need. Let's not see a person hungry and say, man, I hope you get some food. Oh, man, your clothes kind of tore. Man, there's a goodwill down the street. Maybe they'll give you something. No, go in your pantry. Go in your closet. We need to be looking for needs. These are all things that we can be doing for one another because Paul is talking to believers right here. But it's also things we can be doing for other people because that's loving God and it's loving others. The two greatest commandments, Jesus said. It says, bless those who persecute you. This is when it gets crazy. Bless those who do not curse. What? Bless somebody that persecutes me? Wow, you're getting radical, Jesus. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
I don't know about you, but it's easy to celebrate when somebody else is celebrating. But then he says, weep with those who weep. You see, for me, sometimes when a person is rejoicing, sometimes I'm jealous because I want to rejoice with the things they have or what accomplishment they just had in their lives. And so I find myself, instead of being happy for them and rejoicing for them, I find myself getting angry and getting disgusted. And that's all because of pride, because I think I deserve something, because I think I'm somebody. And Facebook turned that up in my life. And that's why I got off of social media like two plus years ago, because I'm seeing everybody's best day and my day ain't too good. And now I'm sad and I'm getting upset. And it put me in a place that God didn't want me to be. So Facebook wasn't the problem, but it was a great symptom. So I could identify what the problem is in me, which was pride. So rejoicing with those rejoice, be glad. And when somebody's weeping, don't just turn away like, man, they got problems. Like, man, just pray about it. I'm going to pray for you. No, I go over there and put your arm around their neck. I heard about a thing at a church called meal train. Y'all probably know about this, especially if you're a mom. Like somebody has a death or something tragic happen, make some food for them. Do something. Go clean their house. Do something to give them some comfort and, and pray for them and help point them to the word of God because that's where they're going to get their real comfort from. But we need to do this for one another. If the world sees us doing this for one another, they're going to want some of this. How many people see somebody get rich and now they're doing a talk and they got thousands of people and they're getting richer because they want to know the secret of getting rich? What if we start loving one another this way and let that draw people to us, right? Then that's an open door. I've been telling people lately, if you want to see people get saved, prison and jail is where you need to go because it's a well-stocked pond. They jumping out the barrel into your net, pretty much, because it's people that's desolate, that's in a dark place, that oftentimes see they have no hope. And you go in there off a little bit of Jesus, they buy it. They buy it. When, when they see some consistency from you, when they feel the love, that it's not just you checking the box saying I did something, people can tell. When they see that sincerity that's oozing from you, that's going to draw those people to you. It says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Right? The only wisdom that we can get is from God. And again, James speaks to this in his first chapter where he says, if any of you want wisdom, then ask of God. And he'll give it to you. He will give it to you. If we want to be wise, all we got to do is ask and then believe that God is going to give it to us. And so Paul gives us a list right here on how our minds need to be rewired. Our minds need to transform. And I need to skip over a few of these things and get to back to 2 Corinthians. And so Paul is saying, let your mind be transformed. And as a result of you being a new creation and the old being passed away, he says back in 2 Corinthians verse 18, it says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So all these things are of God, right? It's not of ourselves. It's not from the next man. Everything that we are receiving is from God through Jesus Christ. And as a result of what God has given us, he gives us even more. He gives us a ministry. You know, a lot of people ask the question, I was just in Cook County Jail yesterday, and we were talking about God's will for your life. How can we know God's will? I'm sure every one of you who ever put your faith and trust in Christ has had that question before. And maybe it's some people in here now. God, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? We have to look no further than his word. Now, there's a, a global or overall will that we can see from the Bible, and I like to call it a funnel, where we can see the top and the middle of the funnel through God's 
word. And then when it gets narrowed down, it points to us like whether it is full time vocational ministry or maybe it is volunteering in a large way for a homeless ministry or a global ministry somewhere like there may be a specific will, but we can know overall God's will for our lives. And we get that from his word. And so he's given us, here's something, in case you wonder, what's your will? He's giving you a ministry of reconciliation. That, but, but what is that? <laughs> Here it is. That is that God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And this is how I like to sum it up. God has brought us back. When we put our faith and trust in him, that union that Adam and Eve once had that was broken because of sin, that we are all born in a broken relationship through the blood of Jesus, his resurrection and our faith and trust in him. We can be brought back. We can be reconciled to him. And now we can be in union with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And God has said, look, I've trusted you with this same ministry, which means I want you to go and I want you to tell people about Jesus. And about how you were reconciled to him, thus how they can be reconciled to him. So he wants us to be like a conduit. He wants us to be a connector to take this person over here who doesn't know Jesus. And we tell them about Jesus in hopes that then a relationship is brought together so they can be in a union with Jesus Christ just like we are. God has given us that. And I believe this is God's expectation. Is it, is it, is it going to be on Pastor Steve? Is it going to be him filling up everybody in the Rockford area that don't know Jesus to hear the gospel? If it's all left to him, that's going to be a fail. I'm just going to tell you. He'll tell you that. He can't tell everybody in Rockford. But who can? It's a lot more of you than it is of him. God has equipped all of us. You may be thinking, but what am I going to tell him? You know what? If you a saved person, then all you got to do is tell him what you know to be saved who got you saved. It's just as simple as that. You don't know what to say. Tell them what somebody told you about Jesus. If you really know him, tell them that. That's the most powerful thing you can tell them. It's called a testimony. It's called testifying to the work that God has done in your life. Is it testifying about how perfect you are? No, because none of us is perfect. Is it testifying to the power of what God has done in your life and you testify to the transformation that is taking place in your life? Yes, that's what it is. That's what's going to draw people along with the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts of sin. I know for me, it's very challenging um, to have a transformed mind. It's, it's very challenging to put these things into practice. But, but just one quick story. When I was in prison... And I had about probably 10 years in. So that's a pretty long time. I was established. I really wouldn't have any problems with anybody else. And all of a sudden, this new guy got there. And he had been locked up way longer than me. But he didn't know me. And he saw me as a target. Because I was kind of happy-go-lucky. And if a person asked me for a soup, I'd give him a soup. Or if they wanted a nutty bar, I'd give him a nutty bar. So this guy started pressing me. He started antagonizing me. And I was like, man, I had went through a season of that, a couple seasons of that. And I was like, finally, I'm done with that season. But this dude challenged my socks off, and I wanted to hurt this man. I mean, I did. I was a Christian for about 10 years, and I wanted to hurt this dude physically. And one day I woke out of my sleep, and God said, take him on a visit with you. You could take people on a visit with you if they didn't get visits. And I woke up, and I'm like, this can't be from God. Satan, get out of my head. <laughs> this can't be God. But I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't get the thought out of my head. So finally I said, man, this must be God. So I went to him, and I told him, 
and he, he, he threatened me because he thought I was playing around with him, which I never messed with this guy. I stayed away from him. Finally, he came to me a few days later. He said, I'm going to go, but if you're playing with me, I'm going to get you. And so I wasn't playing with him, so I wasn't worried about the him getting me part. And in the flesh, I was thinking, you can't get me. I'll get you, sucker. But <laughs> just to be honest, and so the time came. He went on a visit with me. He met my mother, my stepfather, my aunt. We came back, and a few days later, this dude came, and he was crying. He said, I've been locked up over 30 years, and I ain't never had a visit. Nobody ever showed me love like this before. He was a Muslim, too, by the way. And it's a whole lot more to it than this, but I'm, I'm kind of over on my time. I got to get going. But, but I just want to tell this story to show that if we step out in faith and we put into practice some of these things, well, not some of them, put, put into practice all of God's word, we can see God do some amazing things. And see, it's not about us. We're just the, the, the conduit, right? It's nothing about us that makes his name great. It's the Holy Spirit that God gives us that lifts up the cross, that lifts up Christ, that helps people's lives be changed by the power of God. If it's left up to the power of me, ain't no life going to be changed. No life at all. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 20, he says, Now then, in light of God making you, committing to you the word of reconciliation, you're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So now God calls us ambassadors. We represent God in all that we say and our do, our conduct and our lives. Are we perfect? Do we still sin? Absolutely we do. The goal is to be every day sinless, but we'll never be sinless. But we're ambassadors. And when I think about being an ambassador, it made me straighten up a little bit. Like I've never been in the military, but I know they make them boys stick their chests out, you know. And so it made me kind of want to stick my chest out, not for me, but for the sake of God. Like God has entrusted me with something. He's entrusted me with his word. And he wants me to use his word to convey to others. And you can use a strategy and figure out what way that is. Sometimes it's behind a pulpit, and most of the time it's not. It's out in a grocery store, a parking lot, your home, the dinner table, your dinner table, when you're cutting your grass and your neighbor's cutting their grass. It's about being kingdom-minded. It's about being thinking, God, I could be going to do this over here, and it's not even wrong. But you know what? Let me use this time to try to talk to this person. At least plant a seed. So that's the thing I think we get caught up on sometimes is we don't see a conversion rate and we think, are we effective? At least I know that's true of me. But God, God ain't, ain't calling us to convert people. He's telling us to plant seeds and water seeds. Plant them and water the ones that somebody else has planted. So it's just dropping seeds in ground, right? And at some point, maybe a seed will drop once. That's the story of my life. One seed was dropped and it took root on good ground. And there's people like that. There's some people, a bunch of seeds over the course of time had to be dropped. And then one day maybe it'll fall in some fertile ground and it'll take root. And sometimes it's never going to be on fertile ground. A person is never going to believe because hell going to be a lot more fuller than heaven is, I believe, according to God's word. And that's why we need to be out here working relentlessly, preaching the gospel, preaching God's word and preaching. It can be preaching or just having a conversation. I, I call that preaching too, is proclaiming proclamation of God's word and so it says verse 21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God so so because of all these things God that Paul Paul God is using Paul to tell us he said you know what guys this is what I have for you this is what I want you to do here's the ministry I have for you and 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 here's why 
Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, to be your substitute. Jesus came to be our substitute. He took our place of death so that we can have life. And in light of that, all God wants us to do is go tell others the story. Go tell people about the transforming work of Jesus. Please go tell him. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We should always be representing God. All of our sin was credited to Jesus' account, right? I'm sure all of us are in some kind of debt. Wouldn't it be nice if we walked out that door and there was a person there with a, a computer and they were saying, give me, give me all your debt. And as soon as you deal with them, give me your credit cards and all your bank information or whatever, you leave out of here zero debt. I'm going to try to knock y'all out the way, by the way, to be first in line in case they run out of money. But that's what Jesus did. He took all of our sin, past, present, and future, and he took that on to him, on his account. We were spiritually dead and spiritually bankrupt. And he took all of our debt. All of our sin was imputed to him. It was given to him. He bore it on the cross for us. And that means something to me, and I hope it means something to every one of us in here. Because this is a great thing that God has done, which we don't even deserve. We don't deserve any of this. In light of all of this, it makes sense for Paul now, back to Romans chapter 12, that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. God has done so much, and he's really asked so little. And if you know God like I know God, man, you can't outgive God, and you can't outdo God. The more and more I do for God, the more and more he does for me. And sometimes it kind of freaks me out. And I'm like, dang, God, like, why you keep blessing me? Not that I wanted to stop, but it's humbling to know that, that God is real. I mean, it's supernatural. Like, he created everything. I'm in, I'm in awe of God. And to know that he is personally interacting in my life in things is crazy. It really is crazy. See, I really understand what I was saved from. And I really understand what I'm saved to. And in closing, I would like to... To, to ask you guys to really think about what has God saved you from and what has he saved you to? And let that be a motivator to you um, to live a transformed life, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And the last thing I want to do is I want to share my favorite verse with you. is Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ died, when I put my faith and trust in him, I died. That's that old self that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old man is dead. That old man is dead. We need to live in newness of life. So thank you guys very much. So now we want to do the, I got to take your lead on this. Oh, yeah. Um, God blessed me with being able to write a book. I had a co-author who probably did most of the work, but um, it's, it's to get into the hands of prisoners primarily. And the way we do that, because we can't afford to buy them and give them away, is to hopefully that people in the church will be willing to buy a book. And when you buy one, you're really paying for two. You get a copy, and then a person in jail or prison gets a copy. So I got it from Tom Shoes to buy one, give one. So we got copies for sales, a way for Christ followers to see the hope that God, the, the, what God did in my life to give them hope. And the person that doesn't know Jesus, hopefully they'll start investigating Jesus after reading it. It's not very big, so 
you know, it's not intimidating, but they're out there. If you want to get a copy, we can take cash, check, or credit card. Okay, so we just give you the money is what we do. Yep, you can give it to me, yep, out there, out there after service. Well, I appreciate you coming. Man, thanks for having me. So let me just pray, and then the kids will come up. Father, just thank you for the, the life of Lewis, God, and what you've done in his life. Just, you know, I talked to Yvonne how, how, how wonderful it was the first time he heard the gospel to respond. And, Father, many people aren't like that. I like the picture of the seeds in the ground. Many people require more seeds. And, God, just would pray you'd help us to be seed sowers and seed waters, God, for your glory. Just thank you for what you've done uh, at uh, Winnebago County Jail with the hearts of the men here at this church and also other churches around. God, pray you'd um, save other people like that, like, like Lewis. God, to live for your glory. God, help us to know, God, your grace, that we might all rejoice in the wonderful grace of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.